to Luke chapter 19. Today is Palm Sunday, and uh, we're going to be reading this passage out of Luke 19, verse 28. And uh, today's about a royal procession. Um, I don't know if you've ever been a part of a royal procession. I've never been a part of a royal procession, a procession or a procession. Um, <laughs> um, so when you go into the Bible, there's two, if you're new to Christianity and, and, and the Bible, there's, it's in two chunks. There's an Old Testament and then there's a New Testament. The New Testament, the first four books written by four men was Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those guys wrote those books and they all, those four books and those alone are devoted to the life of Jesus. And they all record some of the same stories and sometimes different stories as they went through and God led them to write what they did. Today, the story that we're going to read is in all four of those books. Every one of them saw this as an important story to write. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 19. It says, when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, so we would call that the Mount of Olives, right? He sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has, yet, has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away went and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground, and as he was drawing near, all the, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. It's a royal procession. And we don't have royalty here in the U.S. We, we, don't see, we haven't seen a royal procession ever in the U.S. So I went and dusted off the archives uh, back um, in YouTube and dug up this clip of a royal procession. It's King George, 1937, uh, his royal procession when he's crowned king. So check this out. It's about two minutes. Uh, that's really good. I love the music. So that's a royal procession. Pretty fancy. Um, how would you like to be in that gold carriage? That is amazing. Um, so every, every royal procession has a few elements. Um, they have a route. Uh, that, uh, that route was six miles long from Buckingham Palace to the cathedral and back and all that that they did in between. Six, six miles, uh, uh, the, the actual procession was two miles long uh, that they had from start to finish when they, when they went through the whole thing. Christ's route, well, he went up the Mount of Olives, which is about a two-mile route, and his procession was him and the colt. That was it. Um, 
and you had obviously the crowd around there for both of them, the, every royal possession has planning involved. And for King George, it took about 11 months, actually, when they started the royal planning committee, apparently. Um, it started 11 months prior to when he was crowned king. And, and this is Great Britain, which is, at that point was still a superpower in the world, and the sun still didn't set on its kingdom. And so they had to do tradition, and they had to do solemnity stuff and sacred stuff, and they had all kinds of things. They had to throw in this. They had the route they had to talk through. They had those they had to invite. They had all the fancy trinkets like crowns and sharp pointy swords and holy hand grenades and (laughs) things like that. And Jesus' procession, when you look at the planning of that, it's, well, it happens that morning. Jesus sends a couple guys off to get the cult. No advanced planning, no invitations, no fancy trinkets, no attentions to details. And, and, and four accounts, or three out of the four accounts, take great pains to talk about this conversation that Jesus had with those two disciples, making sure that the, he sent them out. And, and And you start to feel sorry when you look at the planning involved. You start to feel sorry for Jesus and going, oh, that's just like spontaneous. That's so wrong. This is Jesus. But then if you read the accounts in Matthew and in John, they both actually mention something interesting. They both do an editorial comment. So they're describing it. And then after this conversation about, hey, go get the cult, Matthew says this. He says, oh, oh, by the way, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Prophet? Like, what is that? That's, that's Zechariah. He lived like 500 years before this event. Say to the daughter of Zion, actually, it's up here on the screen, right? I think it might be up on the screen. Is it? Yeah, it says, rejoice so greatly. Here's the, here's the full quote. Rejoice, O greatly, or greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall bring peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So just when you start to feel sorry for Jesus, all of a sudden they drop this little thing here, this little nugget. Oh yeah, that was, uh, that's been 500 years in the plan. Sorry, King George. 11 months seems pretty, well, silly. 500 years before this is a prophecy. But actually, if you want to start talking about planning, if you go back to the very ver- first book of the Bible, the first two people, you know, there's this whole event where they're with God in fellowship with God, connected with God, then they, they, they believe the lie of Satan and, and go for this power grab, wanting to be like God, and that just goes bad. And, and so God brings judgment. And one of the things he says to Satan, he says, look, you're, you're going to bite his heel, but he is going to crush your head. And, and it's this little drop of a plan. It's a hint of a plan that is to come. And then fast forward up until around 900 BC, God comes to King David and, and he says to King David, I am going to make from your family line a line of everlasting kings. 
And he goes on to predict that this king, there will be a king that comes. And he says this in Isaiah, which is about 600 years before. And he starts talking to Isaiah, and he, he gives this prophecy. And it's a famous one. We sing Handel's Messiah to it, that tune. He says, For to us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Right? Anybody sing the Handel's Messiah? Right. Oh, yeah, we got some people. And his name shall be called Ed. Right? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. A royal procession has to have planning. And when you start reading between the lines and you start understanding the editorial comments, it becomes very clear that this thing has been planned out. There's no details that are being missed here. It's been planned out from before time began. Even Jesus being on this cult was planned. It wasn't an accident. I mean, Jesus even told them, yeah, they're going to have problems with it. Just tell them the Lord needs it. You'll be good. He knows. This is no accident. A royal procession has planning. It also has a crowd. It needs a crowd. And if you look at King George's, they had about 32,000 soldiers, another 20,000 policemen in the march, in the procession. All the British royalty were there. All the, the political elite were there. The dignitaries from around the world. I mean, there's this long list of, of all these people, royalty and politicians who came. So you have the, the prince and princess of Chichibu. Where is Chichibu? I should have Googled that. Does anybody know where Chichibu is? No, I didn't know either. All right. Then you had the prince and crown prince of the Netherlands, Norway, Sweden, right? Denmark, Yugoslavia, Saudi Arabia, Greece. And then these kings sent a representative. So you had the king of Egypt, king of Italy, king of Yemen, king of Afghanistan, king of Siam, the Grand Duchess of Luxembourg, king of the Albanians, king of Iraq, the Shah of Iran and the Prince of Monaco. I mean, you had this long list of people that were part of this crowd that came. The crowd themselves came, right? I mean, the people from all over England came. And you could see, I mean, in some of those clips, and they talk about it, people being 15 to 20 people deep at different places along this line. People came to see the king and the queen. And they lined it. They knew why they were there. There was no guessing involved. But, which is interesting when you look at Jesus' crowd because uh, there's people that came and they were actually coming to Jerusalem anyway because it was going to be the week of the Passover. And so everybody came into town to celebrate the Passover. So there was already a large crowd beginning to gather. But what's fascinating is that John and Matthew talk specifically about the crowd. And John says... They had no idea who Jesus was. They, they didn't know who Jesus was. Matthew says they had no idea who Jesus was. They, they thought he was a prophet. In fact, everybody was gathering. Both those guys said they came because they'd heard Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead just a day earlier or a few days earlier. So that's why they're all there. They're there hearing like these God stories, and they're thinking, hey, Jesus is coming. I want to see some more God story kind of thing. 
and, and he seems like this great prophet of God, but none of them knew who Jesus was. So why were they singing these songs that have so much to do about this king? Well, they were occupied at this time by Rome. Not exactly a pleasant experience. They, they wanted to get free, right? Singing these songs, it's like, yes, we got a prophet of God. God's doing some stuff. Let's get free. Let's get these Romans out of here. There's no understanding that there was some deeper reason of what was going on and who the Messiah was and why he was coming. I mean, they're singing these songs enthusiastically. It's interesting. John actually says, too, that, that the disciples themselves didn't know what was going on. I mean, John was the closest one of all the disciples, and he writes it about himself. How? A little self-disclosure here. I had no clue. Had no clue what was going on. That's what he says over in John. I think it's chapter 12, verse 19. And there's something, though, about the crowd that I, I love in this story. It's the spontaneous laying down their cloaks, the accessibility, going right up to him, laying their cloaks on the, on the colt, and then literally getting in front of him, laying down the cloak, and, and watching Jesus on his donkey come by. And, and it's crowds, right? So everybody's getting involved with it, and they're, they're going to palm trees, and they're hacking palm trees, and they're putting the branches down on the ground. And, and you can see, if, if this is a whole family thing, everybody's getting there for the Passover, then you've got moms and dads, kids, you've got grown-ups, youth, everything in between here, and they're all getting in into this, laying these branches down as Jesus is coming up. And can you imagine when, if that was you and you laid your cloak on the ground, you're, you're waiting, right? You're excited about him and all this God stuff, but you're also like, he's going to touch my cloak. Like, here it comes, right? Here it comes. And you'd do that, wouldn't you? Oh, come on. How many of us have ever put something out on a street to watch a car hit it? Growing up, who does that? All right. I did that all the time watching cars hit a rock and then crack and then, sorry. There's the steps of freedom for that. We'll work on it later. Um, but that, that's this, there's this excitement. There's, Jesus is here and there's, they don't know him and yet they know God's in on it and they're worshiping God and they're praising God and they don't understand it all. But there's this unrehearsed, passion, excitement. It just comes from within. And, and I love this, that this is one of the only moments where Jesus is worshipped as king of Israel. They didn't understand who he was, but it was still the right thing to do. Paul, Paul once wrote, he heard about some people coming to know the Lord and some Christians were getting really upset about it. And because some of the leaders were really messed up. And he, and he said this, he said, what does it matter? Whether false motives are true, Christ is being preached, people are coming to the Lord, I'm good with it. I love that. Paul had, had this open arms, and, and, and Paul wasn't just going to give a free pass to sin and all this stuff, but Paul's like, look, kingdom of God's a little bit bigger. And I love that about this story here. What if false motives are true, Christ is worshipped? And that's what needs to happen. And that's the story. The very people God created are worshiping him. And a lot of them don't even know why or what is going on. The very people he created. 
You know, one of the other things about this, this procession uh, that it doesn't really get totally mentioned um, is when he's crowned, he, when King George gets crowned, he goes off into this party or whatever, starts to meet people. Jesus, at the end of his procession, it's fascinating. It, he goes up the Mount of Olives, and it, and it says when he got to the top and looked, he saw Jerusalem. So Mount of Olives is this small little mountain, and then you've got a valley, and then you've got Jerusalem off as you look at it, maybe four or 500 yards away, something like that, straight. He got up the top, and Jesus, at the end of his procession, when you think this is going to be awesome, this is going to be great, Jesus gets to the top, the end of his procession is him weeping. That's how the procession ends. He's crying because he sees Jerusalem and he sees how lost they are and he knows that actually the judgment that's coming, they're going to be destroyed. Jerusalem is actually destroyed, what, 40 years later, something like that by the Romans, completely wiped out. That's how his procession ends. And what's interesting, when you, when you think about, okay, so that's how the formal pre- procession ends. There was this whole long, I think it was like over five or seven days, King George had ceremonies and visiting people and functions to go to throughout that time. Jesus, his, his really didn't actually end here. When you, when you look at it, he goes into the temple and then he cleans out the temple. And by the end of the week, he's wearing a crown. It's just not the crown anyone would have ever expected crown of thorns and then he's dead within seven days but this isn't done this is still part of it jesus actually defines he says this is i am now going to be glorified he starts this royal procession on all the way to his crucifixion death then his resurrection and then the 40 days and his ascension in heaven is all part of the glorification of christ it's a whole long procession And it ends with him at the right hand of the Father, King of kings, Lord of lords. And for over 2,000 years, those who follow Christ have a tradition. On this day of the calendar, when Jesus, when we celebrate Jesus and this, this Palm Sunday, this royal procession, the church has determined and been resolved to worship Christ. So somewhere back in church history, AD 300, some church person who likes administration started to record and started to make bulletins. And we actually have a recording of like the first bulletin. That's what we call it, right? Because we still do it today. But this is what we did in the service today. And it was a service, Palm Sunday service. This is how many were in attendance. This is how many were in Sunday school. This is how many. They didn't have Sunday school. I was just kidding. Life conference. Got a spaghetti dinner. No, church history has shown that year in and year out, Christians have celebrated on this day Christ is king. We don't have titles. We may not have titles. Most of us don't. We don't have fame, but we can say it deliberately. We can say it on, pers- on purpose with all of our being. Blessed 
is the king of kings. I mean, these people did it, and they didn't know anything. They didn't know what was going on. So we're going to have some time to sing afterwards. And I would just, I dare you. I dare you to sing like they sang. I dare you to come in with this kind of conviction or this kind of expectation. But the thing is, we're different. We know who he is. We know he's still alive. We know he's on the throne. And we know we're actually talking about the king of kings. He's watching right now. He's in this room right now. Could you imagine how pleased he would be if you would sing to him this morning? Not worried about somebody else. I mean, we're talking about the king of the galaxy, right? The king of the universe. He's here. We know him. We know who he was then, and we know what was going on in as much as we know now. What if you students just sang? I know you've, you've got your image, and, and we'll work on that and help you with that. You know, you've got to tweet and do all your things. I don't know what it looks like to fit in anymore. You've you, you got to fit in. You've you you got to don't want to stick out. And, and what if you just sang with all your might this morning? That would be awkward, Right? Could you sing louder than mom and dad and mean it? It's not about a competition, but just really mean it. And what about you adults? Like, oh my goodness, I don't sing. I don't sing out loud. Like, bravo for you. Like, where did we grow up thinking that once we're adults, we don't have to sing out loud or we'll let other people who have good voices, like, man, it's just, it, it's not about us. It's about worshiping God. I, I dare you, some of you gifted with bad pitch, sing louder than the ones that don't have. Like, all those people think they're so good with pitch. Just show them up. Like, who cares? This is Christ, right? He says, love me with all your heart. Worship me with all your heart. They're throwing cloaks down right? They're, they're laying them down. These dads are climbing up palm trees, breaking off branches for their kids to put in front of the king of kings that they don't even know. And, and we're going to just kind of, oh, come on, do your little circus thing up here and ramp it up. And either you worship the king or kings or you don't. Worship him. This is Palm Sunday. This is the day. The church is forever going to remember he was worshipped. Even though they didn't know, he was worshipped as a king of kings. Not on my watch, right? Not on my watch. Let's worship our king.